0: Claire, Claire, and Munchkins. Can I have you guys slip around the sides a little bit? Can you? Can you at least come over here, Claire? Or just need a little bit more, little more space there, kiddo. Thank you. going to be in Judges chapter 16, so if you want to make your way to Judges 16, um, I'm just going to be kind of reading in line as we go, rather than reading through the whole passage here to begin with, Um, so if you would, go ahead and join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word, we thank you for um, its perfect faithfulness to... um, to challenge us, to convict us, to, to draw us closer uh, to you, God. And we recognize that every, um, every word written, God, is a word for us to consider and meditate on and apply to our hearts and to our lives. And so and we thank you for that. And we thank you for this uh, passage this morning that we have the opportunity to uh, be challenged um, and to be encouraged by uh, by your scripture, and by the life of Samson. God, um, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide this time, that you would be lifted up and exalted, and we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Um, anyone like camping in Florida? Campers? Florida campers? Oh, yeah, Sandy. Big camper. Big camper. Yep, for sure. Depends on where it is. Okay. As long as it's not on the beach. Okay. All right. All right. Like, camping on the beach would be pretty fun, but I don't know. Any, any what's that? Too hot? Okay, yeah. Uh, any, okay. Anything, what's like, what's like the the key enemy in camping? Mosquitoes. Camping itself. The actual act of camping is the enemy of camping. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I can deal with, I can definitely deal with the temperatures. I'm good with temperatures, but like... Mosquitoes, right? Like, if there's mosquitoes, if you've got a bad spot, right, right, it's like, makes it worse. It just elevates. It takes it to another level, right? Um, and you don't have much defense, right? You've got, like, if there are lots of mosquitoes around, what is your defense? Okay, bug spray, for sure. Any other defenses? Fire. Close to the fire? Ellie? Water? Spray them? Water guns, okay. What do you got some Long sleeves, yep, these are, these are all good. Go in the tent, yeah, I, until a mosquito gets in there. You got to keep them out, right? You got to close, close that up, right? Get the, get, keep, keep the mosquitoes outside, right? Um, at least inside the tent maybe you can kill the ones that might have got in and all that, but like, yeah, you need, you need to close the gate, anyway. Um, we're talking about gates today. We're talking about a gate today, a very significant gate, um, and, and Samson uh, taking a gate. So we've got two sections we're going to primarily deal with today, uh, and the first is Samson taking a gate, and the second is uh, the story of Samson and Delilah. Probably the most famous story of Samson's is this story with Samson and Delilah. Um, we're going to start with verses 1 to 3, which is, uh, I'm calling, Samson takes the gate. Sam, uh, judges 16, 1, says this. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. We've been talking, quite, I'm going to start by verse 1. Um, we've been talking for quite a long time about how uh, Samson and basically all the judges uh, get a bad rap. And you've heard me say, probably at nauseam, okay, that uh, I am taking a specific interpretation with the entire book, okay? The whole book. And then there's an alternative, which is kind of the more popular, at least in recent times, interpretation, which is that all these judges are bad. Like, they're evil-intending, they're selfish-intending, they're out for their own good, they don't consider the Lord, and in spite of their selfish ambition and brokenness, God uses them. Right? Um, which is encouraging in one note, right? That like God could use anybody, right? To do anything. And that, we know that. We, and we will point to like, see, uh, God can speak through a donkey, right? If he can speak through a donkey, he can surely speak through a sinner, right? Okay. And that, that's plausible. That's true. God can do that. But the question is is that the message of judges? And um, I've been trying to argue successfully or not, and uh, just for the sake of today, this is the interpretation we're going with. So, uh, Samson's a good guy. He's actually trying to do what the Lord would call him to do. And so we've been trying to look at the story and consider what is Samson doing, and is he doing the Lord's will, and seeking the Lord's will, or is God just using him in spite of himself? Right? So, Um, I have to contend with the commentators that I'm even reading because normally I'm like, oh, that's a good point, that's a good point. Now I'm like, I don't know, I don't agree with you at all. So this is fun. Um, Many commentators don't see the point of this story, okay, verses 1 to 3 specifically. Why in the world does Samson go to Gaza, like 50 miles away from his hometown? Why does he even go there in the first place and go fraternize with uh, with, uh, Philistine uh, prostitutes, right? Why is he doing this? And so commentators actually literally don't know why. Some commentators don't know why these three verses are in. They say, I, we can't explain it. It raises more questions than answers for us. We, we don't have an answer for why these few verses are here, but these are some thoughts, right? Um, and they'll say things like this. They're, and, uh, and I would just contest that I think that they are so distracted by a base interpretation that the judges have selfish intention that they, uh, that they miss the point. And so two, two commentators say this about these three verses uh, and, their, and their inclusion here. A, and, uh, one, of the, one of the commentators the Raid says this, It is not clear what brought Samson to Gaza, which is about 38 miles from Zorah, but on what appears to be a casual visit, his wayward, sensual nature took him into the company of a Philistine prostitute. We don't know why he went. It must have just been his flesh, took him there for no reason. Okay? Another one says... Um, This narrator is concerned with reinforcing the image of Samson, uh, the man that has emerged from chapters 14 to 15. This segment, verses 1 to 3, reveals an Israelite inexorably drawn to the Philistines and continuing to be driven by his senses. He has no scruples about fraternizing with the enemy, but the relationship is even more reprehensible than the one in chapter 14, since he does not even bother to marry this woman that we're talking about here in verse 1. And so, I'm going to say something a little different, okay? I think Samson has a purpose, and I actually think Samson knows his purpose. Samson, from the very beginning, um, in Judges chapter 13, it's told to Manoah and his wife that the reason Samson is born, right, is to begin to save Israel from the Philistines. His whole manner of living, his whole purpose and calling in life, is to come against the Philistines, to fight them. And I think what we've seen, more than Samson uh, running uh, kind of according to his flesh, what we've seen is Samson trying to attack the Philistines with zero support from the rest of Israel entirely. Okay? Remember, 3,000 Judahites turned Samson over to the Philistines in captivity. They're not supporting him. They're not coming around him and going, yeah, let's fight the Philistines. No, rather they're saying, don't you know that the Philistines have been our rulers for 40 years? Don't you know that you're picking a fight with the Philistines? They're in charge here. And Samson's going, well, uh, I'm supposed to save us from them, so if you're not coming with me, uh, I guess I'm going with just the Lord is what's happening. And I would contest that that's what's happening even in these three verses. Um, So Samson, okay, from this is the, the interpretation of today. We're casting aside this other alternative interpretation. There are brothers and sisters that believe that, and that's great. And I just disagree with them, and that's fine, because we both love Jesus and are pursuing him. But for the sake of going through Judges with you guys, we're going with this interpretation that Samson is righteous. So whether you like that or not, Sorry, we'll talk more on Wednesday or something. Um, So this interpretation comes from the fact that the Lord has called him to begin saving Israel from the Philistines. He's going over and over and over again to pick a fight with the enemy that is subduing and, and fighting against Israel. This is his overarching goal, and it's the goal of his entire life for this point. So first, interpretively, we look at this passage and you've got to go, okay, we've got to read this passage in light of the fact that Samson is called to save Israel from the Philistines. Okay, so that's point one. I'm saying I don't think he's actually having uh, sexual relations with this prostitute because his actual goal is to save them from the Philistines. He's not there just out of his flesh. He's there with a purpose. Okay, so that's one. Interpretation over the whole guards my, my thinking about these three verses. Second... The wording in, this, in these verses, okay, uh, and particularly verse 1, there is doubt, okay? There's reasonable doubt, all right, um, among interpreters over um, exactly what is meant by he went into her in verse 1. Um, there's doubt as to whether that intention, the, the, the intended interpretation of that should be that he had sexual relations with her, okay? And I'm going to just put this to you in a couple, a couple of clear ways. Um, first is that you have to remember that there is a previous story to this where Joshua sends the spies into the land, right? And who does Joshua meet? But Rahab, or the, the spies meet, but Rahab, the prostitute. And they go, and they actually go to the prostitute's house. And as it turns out, this is kind of a method. If you don't want to be seen... In a city you're not supposed to be in, you go to a shady environment, right? And you hide. You go to a, you know, a bar in an alleyway, whatever it is, right? You go hide and sneak in. And so one of these known places to go is the prostitute's house. And so the spies know this. They go to the prostitute's house. And also, turns out, uh, the leaders of cities also know this. So they have people watching these types of environments, okay? And so when they see someone that, you know, comes through that they don't recognize, that's reported, and then we've got a conflict going, right? And it's slowly building this kind of train wreck that's heading toward each other, right? And so the, the spies in Joshua, in, in the book of Joshua, go and stay at the prostitute's house, Rahab, and when the king of Jericho sends the guards to her house, she uses the exact same wording, as is used in Judges 16.1, where he went into her, okay? Okay. Um, the exact same wording is what she uses to describe the Israelite spies' activity within her house. She says, Joshua 2.4, and she said, true, the men came to me. Okay? That word, came to me, is the same as, went into her, from Judges 16.1. It's the same Hebrew word, okay? And so, just based on context, as translators, we've gone to these passages and go, we have to interpret this from the context we are going to assume in Samson's case because he's a womanizing violent brute that he must have had relations with the woman but in the case of these spies we have to assume on their case since they're righteous spies that went in to spy the land that they just went (laughs) right so you have to kind of choose what you're doing based on this context but the words are actually the same she says, true, the men came in to me, came to me, but I did not know where they were from. So we have to rely on interpretation and context, because we've got a question about the wording and how we're supposed to read the word. And the context is this. Samson is not distracted by the prostitute. He's not distracted. Okay, listen to verses two, verse 2. Okay, the Gazites find out that Samson is at the prostitute's house. Okay, they know a spy is in the land now. So the Gazites find out. They're watching this house, this safe house or whatever. And they say, Samson is here. Verse 2, the Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And it actually happens to be the same words also. Came here. It's the same same word. Look at that. Uh, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait until the light of morning and then we will kill him. Okay? So the Gazites found out that Samson's in the prostitute's house and they assemble around the city gate. Their are guards there and they go, okay, we're going to wait for him and actually we're just going to wait till the morning and when he's trying to leave in the morning from his gallivanting or whatever, um, we will attack him. The problem with their plan is that Samson's not distracted. Okay? Samson's not doing the things you do when you go to a prostitute's house. It says, actually, verse 3, but Samson lay until midnight. Not till daybreak. He's waiting till midnight. He's waiting for the guards to maybe fall asleep, calm down, lose their uh, attention, whatever it is. He waits till midnight, and at midnight he arose, and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them down, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in the front of Hebron. Okay, what I want to tell you is Samson didn't go to Gaza for no reason. He went to take the gates. He went to take the gates of one of the five major cities of the Philistines he went to remove the gates and take them back to Hebron. That was his whole mission in going. He wasn't going to you know, fraternize with a Philistine woman. In fact, the woman he loved was murdered by fire by the Philistines. The woman he committed to marry was killed by the Philistines. Okay, the love of his life is dead. And so he's not going for this reason. He's going to continue what God has called him to do, which is wage war against the Philistines. And so he goes to Gaza, sets his plan, waits for the guards to go to sleep, and removes the gate and takes him to Hebron. Now, all that sounds very easy to say, you know, but like step back and just think of the miracle of what just happened. Regardless of if that was what he was planning to do, he waited for the, guard that, the guards that knew he was there, right? They knew he was there. They were ready to kill him that morning, and they just should have killed him immediately, apparently. Um, so he goes, while they're, I think, miraculously unattentive, okay? Because if you are taking an iron gate off of its hinges and removing the bar and then walking with it away, you're probably going to wake somebody in the natural, right? Like... I would think that's a good enough alarm, you know, to like catch somebody by surprise and all this. So just the fact the noise level itself is a, a miracle. Uh, the strength, again, is absolutely miraculous on, on par with uh, him catching 300 foxes and tying fire to their tails, right? Like on, on par with him taking the jawbone of a donkey and killing a thousand men. Like this is a miracle again. And so people look at this passage and they go, well, he didn't say that the Lord strengthened him. And I'm like, I, I think he did. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that like, no man is able to, on his own strength, lift the gates off the city and carry them for 40 miles to Hebron. It's the Lord, okay? The Spirit of the Lord rushed on him once. The Spirit of the Lord is going to rush on him again. And I'm just telling you, I think he's just, the Lord is with him, okay? And he is with the Lord, and he's doing what God has told him to do. He takes the gates. He takes them to Hebron. So, the question then is, uh, why? Like, why does it matter, right? What's the importance of taking the gates of Gaza, um, and what's important about taking them to Hebron? Um, So, you know, similar to the tent, right? Like, why are doors important? Like, why are doors important? What is the function of a door? Claire? Safety. Safety from, from outside and what? And villains, yep, yep. What? In, it's an entrance, okay? Yeah, it functions as a, in, you know, so we have to have a place where we can go in and out of the home, and we also have a place where we can keep safe from uh, people that might try and get in. Um, yeah. was that? It's also then where the leaders Correct. Yes. Make, make yes. The gate of a city is not just a door. Okay. Uh, it's a symbol. <laughs> it's a symbol of the strength of the city. It's a place where, where, uh, where judgments are made. So people are gathering there to say, okay, are we going to send you away from this city or are we going to welcome you into this city? Are you a villain to this city or are you home here, right? That's why you make a judgment there, okay? You're either going to be included in this city or you're not going to be included in this city. You're making a judgment at the door. Um, And these doors, these uh, these, uh, uh, Philistine doors uh, were ornately decorated to celebrate their own gods and say, these are the gods of the city. I mean, you've seen it when you come into Florida, welcome to Florida, right? The big arch as you go and come in, like, you know, just, like, we do this still today to say, look how cool our city is, or look how cool our state is. We've got this amazing entrance at our border, right? Um, the same was true then, except it was like a functional gate that you had to go through, you know? Um, so gates are important. Um, Scripture says in Nahum 3, verse 13, as a woe against Nineveh um, by Nahum, it says, the gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has devoured your bars. Nahum says against Nineveh, it says, we've tore down your gates. Okay, Your enemies can go in and out of your gates. Now that your gates are gone, your, your city is wide open to your enemies. It's a, it's a curse on them, right? Um, but even more significantly, I think, in specific to our context, that we are in the land of Israel that God has given to the children of Israel, and the only one fighting for this land at this point is Samson. I think he's pretty much alone in this war, okay? Um, is the promise that was made to Abraham, okay? In Genesis chapter 22, this is the promise that is made to Abraham. The angel of the Lord returns to Abraham after making some promises to him and says, And he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. So, the Lord swears by himself, it's just it's going to happen. Um, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, remember he took Isaac up the mountain and was about to kill him and God said no, uh, I'm going to take your place here. Because you've not withheld your son, your only son, verse 17, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Whew. Yeah. Man. That's it. That is it right there. Your offspring shall be to the nations, uh, shall, be, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemy. Um, an initial fulfillment of that is here. Samson's going, Yeah, Philistines, you think that you're taking over this land, but let me let you know this land is the Lord's land, okay? And you are my enemy, and I'm possessing your gate. I'm standing with my father Abraham, and I'm letting you know that this is our land. So this is, again, why he goes to Hebron, right? Why does he go to Hebron? He goes up to Hebron because it's a high place in the region. But also, over and over and over again, Hebron is a very significant place. Um, In Genesis 18, the Lord foretold to Abraham the birth of Isaac. Guess where he was? Hebron. In Genesis 23, Sarah died in Hebron, and she was buried there. Abraham, in fact, and Sarah were buried there in a cave that Abraham purchased from the Hittites, and it was the only land that Abraham purchased in the entirety of the land was in Hebron. Okay, The promises that were made to the forefathers of Israel about their possession of the land was in Hebron. And is it just like coincidence that Samson took the gates of the enemies back to Hebron? I mean, he's just a brute. He doesn't know what he's doing. Or maybe, you know, maybe, just maybe, his faithful parents were telling him stories of the forefathers of Israel. And saying, the Lord made a promise to your father Abraham that this would be our land. And that's why we're waiting. And you're to save our people from the hand of the Philistines. Maybe, just maybe, Samson's a faithful one. Maybe Hebrews 11 is right in counting Samson as part of the hall of faith. Maybe. Genesis 35, Isaac and Rebekah live and die in Hebron. Genesis 37, Jacob lived and was buried in Hebron. Numbers 13, Hebron is where the spies go into the land to find the fertility and strength of the land. The sons of Anak are living in Hebron. Numbers 14, Joshua 14, Joshua uh, Judges 1 and 20, Hebron is the city that's given to Caleb at the beginning of the entire book of Judges. Okay, This is a parenthesis around the whole book to say we gave Caleb Hebron. This is our land. He was the one faithful spy that went into the land and said, I know these guys are big, but we can take them. Right? He's the only one that said that. Him and Joshua. And so, yeah, Samson has a purpose in going down to Gaza and taking the gates and carrying them back to Hebron. Because this is a statement to all the people of the land to say, this land is the Lord's. You cannot have it. It is God's. He has given it to the children of Israel. Hebron is also the place where David ruled for the first time for seven years before moving the capital from Hebron to Jerusalem. I don't think this story was misplaced. (laughs) I don't think there's any question about the meaning that these three verses could have to the whole of the story. And I, you know, I really am frankly like surprised that that the other side interpretation would say, we don't even know why it's here. That should start to give you pause with your interpretation to say, we're not sure why this passage is here. Maybe your interpretation doesn't fit if you're trying to take out a little piece and go, we're not sure what it's doing there. So Hebron is where Samson takes the gates and says, This is the Lord's. (laughs) I know it didn't look like it because I'm the only one fighting for it, but this land, it's the Lord's. So uh, these are the gates. Uh, I took them, and obviously not me because I'm one man and I carried the gates 40 miles. Like, if you don't recognize by now that, like, the Spirit of the Lord is doing this and not just some man, then I don't know what else to tell you, right? Like, God is working through Samson to do miraculous things. So, that's verses 1 to 3. Um, verses 4 to 22. Samson and Delilah. Very strong pivot, okay? <laughs> Lest you think I idolize Samson, okay, as a, a person who can do no wrong and will never make a mistake and never fail. Um, this is it, right? Um, Samson did know uh, about the Lord, he, and he served the Lord, and he did what the Lord said, and the, the problem is that he is a human, and he has allowed sin to creep in to his life in this story. And so we'll deal with this passage um, for sure, and it's... Um, Pretty straightforward, honestly, uh, to a degree um, more so than the previous. Um, but I think the unfortunate thing about this story is that typically it ends on, see, it's just another line of Samson's missteps. It's just like, this is the pen, ultimate representation of who Samson is. as Samson and Deliah. That, that it really just describes his whole life. And actually, unfortunately, it doesn't, I don't think. I think it describes a weakness in him. And, listen, I think there are things we could say to go, I can see how he got here. Okay? Um, I can see um, that it would be very difficult to see a woman who is right in your eyes, not just beautiful, but right. Okay? Remember, he was offered a more beautiful opportunity. He denied it because his rightful opportunity was taken from him. Okay? The one he knew was right in his eyes, was taken, if the love of your life was burned by her own people to death, that would be pretty devastating in your life. Um, If then, for the continued years, you, you fought like tooth and nail against the enemies of the Lord, defeating them successfully, and yet still are turned over by your own people to these people, right? The Judahites delivered him over to the Philistines, bound, okay? You would probably have some things you're struggling with in your life. So is he sinful? Yeah, he, you know, he's broken. Does God use him in spite of himself and teach him something through this broken story? Yes, he will. But this story, you can't get around. He messed up. He, he messed up. He let his guard down, and he messed up. And so it should be um, a warning to us, right? A, 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 like a cry to us all, whether, whether, okay, whether you're holy or not, right? Because like, so often we look at each other and like, oh, well, they're more holy, so they'd never do anything. Or they're not so holy, so they, I could see them getting caught, but not that person because they're more holy, right? No, <laughs> stop deciding who it is is going to fall. You don't get to decide that. So whether your interpretation is Samson's evil and then this is the the culmination of that or not, listen, he's a man and he fell. And we shouldn't just prop up leaders and go, well, they'll never fail because they're a leader. It's just not true. Leader or not, you ought be on guard against the wiles and deception of sin in your life. And so, I think that's the story of Samson and Delilah. You've found Samson, and he's given in, and he let his guard down, and he sinned. And his undoing is glorious in in such a word. Like, it's like, wow, how? Brother, like, how did you miss it? Like, how? We look at the passage, and we question that. How? Like, Don't you remember that your first, like, the wife you were supposed to be married to, she deceived you in the same way, over and over and over again, and you gave in to her, and then the same thing's happening here with Delilah. Like, you don't see it. It's a warning to us. Verse 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. It's the first woman that's given a name, actually, in his story. Uh, it could mean flirtatious one. It could mean uh, lady of, uh, of the dark, of the night. Like she's deceptive in that way or whatever. Um, but she falls in love with Delilah, the woman from the Valley of Sorek. And just basically gives us a reference point that this is somewhere between Gaza and Hebron. So he's like maybe in Gath, the area of Gath, which is two of the Philistine cities nearer to uh, the center of Israel. So, he falls in love with this woman. Everyone sees it coming, right? The lords of the Philistines, which there are five, because there are five major cities in Philistine, okay? Five Penta cities, okay? Um, pentapolis is kind of the thing. So, there's five cities, and the five lords of the Philistine come to her. That's why we think there's five, that is. Uh, the five lords of the Philistines come to her and say, Seduce him, and see where his strength, great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you eleven hundred pieces of shekels of silver. Eleven hundred shekels of silver. Okay. So in total, that's any math wizards. Five lords, eleven hundred apiece. One dollar, Bob. Yeah, yeah, one dollar. Yeah, fifty-five hundred. Yeah, fifty-five hundred shekels of silver. They offer. Listen, Delilah might think Samson's attractive and powerful, and and, uh, and, and all this, uh, but at the end of the day, he's an Israelite, and uh, the Lord of the Philistines are offering me 5,500 shekels. You might not have a reference point for that, but we do have one that's close to the time, and that's Abraham, again. Uh, when Abraham bought the burial grounds for him and his wife and their household, he paid for this land with 400 silver shekels. Okay? So she's getting over 10 times that much from the lords of the Philistines. And inflation wasn't that rampant, okay? Like, it's not, we're not, this isn't America, okay? Like, this is like, ancient things are way lower inflation rate. Um, So this is a lot of money, is what I'm telling you, okay? You can buy a whole burial ground for yourself and your family for uh, a tenth of what she is about to receive for this deception. So as attractive as Samson may be, she's going... Might be worth it. I'll find another guy, right? So the deceptions begin, and there's four movements. Uh, so Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how it might bound you and might subdue you. And I'm going to go pretty quickly through it because it's kind of rep- repetitive here. But um, Samson said to her, If they bind me with the fresh bowstrings that have never been dried, then I shall become weak like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her. Uh, seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and and she bound him with them. them. Now she had men laying in ambush in the inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. And I do want to just mention that, (laughs) sorry, Uh, there is a question about how far they went, if they're on first, second, third, fourth base here, okay? Uh, Because... If the Philistine men are waiting in the inner chamber, that's kind of where things happened. So, anyway, might not have progressed as far as we think. Just saying. Uh, Judges 16.10, the second uh, time around, Delilah says to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I should become weak like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him. And again said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Part 2. Now part 3, verses 13 and 14. Then Delilah said to Samson, "Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with a web and fasten it tight with the pen, then I shall become weak like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into a web, And she made them tight with the pen and said to them, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pen and the loom and the web. And notice that they are no longer in the inner chamber. The Philistines aren't in the inner chamber this time. So we're moving forward, right? Again, he tells her the lie. And again, you're going, at this point, Samson, don't you see where this is headed? She is committed to trying to deceive you unto your destruction. You should stop and run away but he doesn't. Verses 15 to 20. And she said to him, this is the most heavy that she's going to get, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And she pressed him hard, and her words day after day urged him, and his soul was vexed to death. You can just feel the pressure And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. first person that he actually becomes vulnerable with This is the first person he's really told his story to. You can just see a man that doesn't know what to do with his life. He's being used by the Lord, but he desires company. He desires relationship. He desires a wife, a, a friend, anybody. He told her his whole heart. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, turns out, I don't know if you know this, guys, but women have great intuition. And there is a clear understanding of when, oh husband, you are telling the truth and when you are just being surface, okay? So just be a warning to you, Delilah's a woman and so is your wife. And she knows when you're not saying what is true. She knows when you're genuine. Delilah knows that he had told her his whole heart at that point. The the complexion's changed. The tone has changed. the, The seriousness has changed. The depth of information has changed, okay? Something shifted and she picked up on it. Whether Samson knew it or not, he had told the whole thing. And she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again, For he has told me his whole heart. Then the lords of the Philistine came up and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. So before the Philistines even get there, she's testing it out, right? She sees that even she can torment this strong man of God, Once his hair is gone. Verse 20. And then she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke up from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He didn't even know it. He didn't know it had hit him. He was so confident. he's going, man, maybe you can shave off my head and I'll be all right. And we don't really know. We have to speculate, like, what got to him? What got to his thinking? What was he thinking that he woke up and thought, oh, I'll go out like usual? Was he just groggy and woke up and thought like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna, it's okay. I'm going to go with strength. And he just was so groggy they didn't realize his strength had left him? Maybe maybe he didn't actually think it was the vow that was keeping him strong maybe his heart had changed that maybe i am just strong you know maybe his pride had got to him right so maybe I, maybe i don't need this vow maybe i just need to be samson the strong one without my hair he didn't know the lord had left him And so the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza, <clears throat> back to where he'd went, back to the place he stole the gates from, right? They took him back to Gaza, and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaped. A mighty fall by a man who had served God throughout his life. He lost sight of it. He took his eye off the ball, okay, and got caught weak and broken in not relying on the Lord for his strength, but rather himself. So a couple things we need to walk away with here. Um, First, just considering the most recent of these two stories, Samson and Delilah. We're not invincible, folks. We're not invincible, uh, no, no matter how long you've walked the road with the Lord, there's only one option to following Him. Okay? And I've been reminded by it, it's just been like ringing in my ear the last couple weeks. The, the phrase from the last battle, I think it is, of uh, Narnia, where they're just going up to the Lord, right? And it's just further up and further in, further up and further in. That's all there is. There's only further up and further in. Anything else is getting your eyes off where we're headed and going back the other direction. There's not like a spot where you stop and coast along the way. Okay, You're, you're going up and in. And when you stop getting your eyes on the Lord and pursuing Him, you, you just might as well be on a slide going down the other way. Further up and further in is where we're headed. And he gives you strength to go that way. I tell you, he gives you all the strength you need to go further up and further in every single time. And in this moment, man, man, Samson had gone further up and further in over over and over and over again. But in this moment, questioning who was supporting him, who was around him, whether it mattered, all this going through his head. Man, my wife was killed. Like all these kind of things are going through his head. Right? He's caught not finding his strength in the Lord, rather than hiding in the cleft of the rock like he'd done before, right? He'd once gone to the rock and said, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to be safe here with the Lord. This time, he didn't. He found comfort in the arms of a woman he fell in love with. Notice the difference in description between the first woman, the wife, and Delilah. The wife, he found right in his eyes. Delilah, he fell in love with, okay? This is a romance idea of our culture that says, oh, we just fall in love. (laughs) No, that's not marriage. We know that, right? We're studying that in our marriage study. That is not marriage. Marriage is a commitment to one another. Yeah, you fall in love, and that's a beautiful thing, but guess what? It gets hard, And life is difficult, and you commit to each other. So he'd fallen in love with Delilah. And you can see him blowing past the stop signs. And I just challenge us all. God has put stop signs in our life over and over again as we Fight against sin. And I don't know whether your sin is lust or greed or hate or fear or whatever it is, okay? Everyone struggles with something in their life, the circumstances or you know, whatever it is, okay? I don't know what, what the thing is that you struggle with, but there are stop signs in our life, okay? And we come to these stop signs and the Lord's going, man, don't dwell on this. Don't sit here. Don't go past this stop sign, okay? Don't, go, don't run this thing, okay? You need to stop and come back. Toward me, okay? And, you know, for me at a time, um, as I've led ministry here, okay? I've said this before, so, you know, I'm not I'm not ashamed to say it again, and I'll say it over and over again because it's really something in my heart, okay? I come to a stop sign in my life, right? And I look and go, oh, that church is doing really good over there. Like, what are we doing that... that they're not doing, or what are they doing that we're not doing? And I start comparing, right, my calling against the calling of another man and the results that he's having, right? And I've blown past that stop sign before, okay? And it's got me into a rough patch in my heart before. But God gives you an opportunity when you come to those stop signs. You can either listen to the Holy Spirit and be convicted by that thought, which is wrong. I should not be comparing myself to any other man. The only person I am to compare myself is Christ, and I fail, and I rely on His strength alone to get me through the calling He's called me to. Period. End of story. There's no looking at one another with jealous eyes and going, well, if I just had their calling or their gifting or their ability or their resources or whatever. No! Stop at the stop sign and turn to the Lord. And listen, I've, I've been there with lust, okay? You go to stop sign, you're like, ah, oh, it's okay to just look here and there, whatever, you know? nobody's really hurting anybody, right? No one knows I'm even doing this. So it's okay, right? It's just in my thoughts. And you go past this stop sign, and all of a sudden, you're looking at more things. I was awakened to that, thankfully, years ago. 10, 15 years ago now, I don't know, in a very palpable way. And God said, you either stop this or this is going to end in death. Is the first time I really realized that the wages of sin is death. is not just about eternity, okay? It is about eternity, but the wages of sin kill what God wants to do in your life. It ends in death. It defeats what God has called you to do. Does He come and give grace and walk with you even still? Yeah, praise God. Praise God, He comes and comforts the broken and hurting and sinful heart. Praise God. And I look forward to preaching next week when Samson realizes this again. But man, we got to take stock of these stop signs because I promise you if you blow through too many stop signs, you're going to find yourself going the wrong way down the interstate and there's just no winning, okay? There's just cars coming at you and you're bound to crash. This is literally what's happened to Samson. She starts the pattern, right, that he's seen before and he goes, ah, I'll tell her just a fib and maybe I'll get by. And then I'll tell her another fib and maybe goodbye. And maybe get by, and then finally he reveals his whole heart, and she actually knows his strength. We're not invisible. We're affected by our sin, and so are those around us. It's not just a personal issue; it's a corporate issue. And so, man, take stock, be on guard, and stand against the schemes of the evil one. that's the first one. We're in a battle, guys. This is war, and we got to be aware. As soon as you're lulled to sleep, that you're not in war, and then we're just fighting the American dream, fighting for capitalism or whatever it is, good jobs, better economy, but, like, then we've missed it, okay? We're in a war, a spiritual battle, and you are in a place where there's spiritual battle, and so take up arms and fight it. So, second thing I want to leave you with is this. The Lord owns the land. Okay? <laughs> the Lord is won. Okay? The victory is completed. And specifically with this story, that's what Samson's saying, right? He's saying, these gates belong to the Lord. He gave us the land like five or six hundred years ago. He gave it to my father, Abraham. And I'm taking these gates back to my father's homeland. These are his gates. God gave them to us. And so this land is ours. Our God has defeated this land. It is our land. That's what he's saying. Samson's affirming this in raising the Philistines' gate and taking it to Hebron. And this isn't just true about some small piece of land the size of New Jersey on the east side of the Mediterranean. Okay. <laughs> Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell in it. This whole land is the Lord's. Okay? From Clearwater, okay, to Tarpon, to St. Pete, to Tampa, Clearwater is the Lord's. It's not anybody else's land. This land that we're standing on, it's no one else's land. It's the Lord's land. Okay? All the earth Is the fullness of the Lord's. There is no land that doesn't belong to Him. Israel is just a picture of the fact that God owns it all. Just like the Sabbath day is a picture of the fact that He owns your whole week. (laughs) The reason you can give up a whole day of productivity to the Lord is to say, God, you're in charge. You're in charge of my whole life. And so here it is. There's no land. No time, no life that doesn't belong to the Lord. And His authority goes beyond just property. It's spiritual. I remind you of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18-20. to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What happened at the cross? Jesus received all authority in heaven and earth. And so he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded to you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The one who has all authority is walking with you in the calling he's given you to disciple men and women to follow Jesus. Holy Spirit is with you in full power. Okay? He has rushed upon you. He's not going to rush upon you again. He is in you. Okay, If you trusted Christ, Holy Spirit lives in you, resides in you. He put it this way, uh, which I love, uh, to Peter when Peter realized that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, Matthew 16, 15 to 19. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father, who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." Samson took the gates, okay? It's a foretaste. It's a picture. It's a prelude to the real battle that was finished and completed in Christ Jesus. Jesus has taken the gates of hell and death and delivered them over, okay? The gates are gone, Death has no hold on you. Sin has no power over you as so long as you stand in Christ Jesus. You can fight against every temptation that comes. You can take captive every thought according to the cross of Christ, okay, and submit it there, right? You have authority over this in your life. And so often we come up to the stop sign and we go, oh, this temptation is overwhelming. I cannot do it. If I just give in one time, it'll be okay. And then I'll stop doing it. And we just convince ourselves to blow right through. And Jesus is saying, I've given you all authority in heaven and earth to stand against this temptation. Would you stand against it? Take it to the cross. Go down to your knees and pray and ask God to stand with you in your moment of temptation, and he will deliver you. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There is no spiritual authority or organization or you know, entity or whatever okay, that can defeat our God. And I don't care what the circumstances look like. I don't care what the results look like. I don't care what the fleshly picture of success looks like. When we're on the side of God, we won. Period. And so I just pray that we would have the faith that Samson had through the majority of his life. And that we would stand and go, God, I believe you, even when I don't see it. You're working, right? And I pray that we also would have eyes to see that but we're not, you know, we're vulnerable too. And watch out for the attacks that come and deceptions that come and fight against them and stiff on them and put them away. And I just leave this one piece of hope with you, even if you are struggling through sin and wondering what to do with your life or wondering whether you're following this or not, or wondering, you know, maybe this question hits hard with you, that sin is real, and that maybe you've given into it in some way. Let me just assure you, okay? The hair of his head began to grow again. God uses time, okay? When we fall into sin, he uses time to start mending our hearts back together again and showing us again that he hadn't left. He didn't leave for the first time, but he's working on you. He wants to show you something deeper. He wants to take you back to that idea of further up, further in. The hair on his head began to grow again after been shaved. God is gracious with us and he is powerful to overcome anything that we have ever gone through, whether our fault or not. He is here. He hasn't left us. He hasn't forsaken us. He didn't forsake Israel. They weren't even calling out to him. And he sent them Samson, to destroy the gates of the Philistines and knock down thousands of them with a jawbone and all this, right? He didn't leave them. He's still showing them, in spite of their lack of call to him, that he has chosen this people and he loves them just as he loves you, just as he loves me, and has shown us that through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to being encouraged and strengthened by it and